So first off, uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling today? I'm excellent. I just had a, a birthday and today is actually my wife's birthday. So we've had lots of cake, so it's, it's about time to go into diet mode. into a new episode of Chip and Friends. want to let you know it's good to be back. I know it's been some time, an update there. I actually tested positive for COVID-19 on December 27th, and luckily everyone that I uh, may or may not have come into contact with is okay, and I'm okay as well, so that's good to have finally move past that. Also, we're back at the grind with ESPN 94.1 FM, where you can hear me 3 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday online or on 94.1 FM in the Hampton Roads area. Plus, we're going to be adding some more content. This is actually going to be airing on my YouTube page. You can find it Chip Briere, and we'll have our own little subclass for Chip and Friends episodes. So just wanted to get those plugs in before we get to this interview with Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who covers the ACC Virginia and Virginia Tech. He was in Charlottesville on Wednesday night covering the 54-52 victory for the Cavs over the Hokies. So we appreciate you. Uh, without further ado, everybody, Chip and Friends is back in 2022, ready to get the new year started off right with this interview. So let us begin with what I thought was the best quote after the 54-52 win for Virginia against Virginia Tech, which came from head coach Tony Bennett. It, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't pretty, but it was us. And those guys were rugged on both sides of the court. I wrote in my notes, Mike, this felt like a Tony Bennett fever dream of a game, what he will put on tape for recruits when they come to Charlottesville and say, this is how we play when we are basically at the bottom of the ACC for the moment. We are going to play this kind of style. It was rough in the best kind of way. Did it feel like that for you at John Paul Jones Arena? <laughs> Yeah, very much so. And, and, you know, David Thiel and I were talking this morning about the idea that um, you can't really count out UVA because of Tony Bennett. He always finds a way. And I think part of why Tony is so successful is he, he doesn't have that ego of, you know, oh, my 2019 national title team, look at the way they moved the ball and shot the ball and played on the perimeter and the high field goal percentage left the defense. That's, that's the dream. But Tony Bennett's also willing to say, okay, I don't have the pieces for that but I want to go make the NCAA tournament. I want to finish in the top part of the league. Here's how we're going to do it. And, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> you watch that game. It's cringeworthy at times, right? I mean, it's, it's physical, it's bruising. There was not great offensive slow flow at any point, but his guys made some shots. They didn't turn the ball over. They played tough as nails. And after getting just their lunch taken from them at North Carolina on rebounds and second chance points, they basically eliminated that. And there was two points for Virginia Tech, second chance points. So, um, yeah, I, I think Tony Bennett was able to say, like, look, guys, like you said, this is who we are. This is how we've got to play. If we do it, we'll win. If we don't, we're going to get our butts smacked, like in Chapel Hill. And they came out and did it. Yeah, Kafaro to me in that game, I, I, I will, full disclaimer to people that are watching this or listening to this on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Chip and Friends, I, I didn't know anything about this team. 
one thing I walked away from was the seven foot one kid is messy as all hell on the block, but he plays with all kinds of heart. And that's what Tony Bennett loves. And I think he really needed that performance in a lot of ways to go in there against the Lume and just put up a career high at 16 points and be able to say that they were able to hang on there late. Yeah, we, we agree, right? They don't win that game without Kafaro and what he did. Well, they probably don't plug Kafaro in unless Caden Shedrick gets 2,000 the first three minutes. So you talk about something that if you're, if you're being honest and evaluating, you think that's great for Virginia Tech. Two fouls on Shedrick. UVA's got to go to the bench. The bench hasn't been great. They went to Kafaro in the Carolina game. He didn't turn the tide. He didn't change things at all. So at that moment, you're feeling really good if you're a Hokie. And then here comes Kafaro, and he plays the best game of his career. Um, not just tough and energy, which is – and I don't mean this as a put-down, but that's always been the thing, right? Like Kafaro will come in, and he'll screen somebody and knock them on their backside. And, you know, he'll come and push somebody off the block, and he'll grab a rebound or tap one out. But he's not – changing the course of the game with his scoring and he's not he's not that kind of a factor and he was in this game he got the ball in the low block and he lowered his shoulder and bowled through people but he had nice touch with his hands soft hands around the rim we haven't seen that I mean the kid's a redshirt junior he's been around a while and Tony Bennett said hey it takes the bigger guys a little while sometimes to, to come around and um, I'm not saying that he's going to be 16 and 9 every time that's just silly but if Francisco Cafaro can be 8 and 8 Eight points and eight boards off that bench. Holy cow. This is a different Virginia team if he can do that. And I don't know if he can. It was one night. Um, but, yeah, Shedrick's foul trouble, him coming in, that changes the ball game. Yeah, and that's – that's. I want to go there for a second because the first half of the season before last night, I was saying UVA is a mess. They don't look like they know what they're doing out there. They have a lot of veterans. They have a lot of young guys, and they haven't been able to mesh together. And traditionally, Virginia has been one of those teams in the ACC that consistently is in the top six in the conference standings. And now they're on the outside looking in. I saw them put up the graphic on the ESPN telecast. The Virginia Tech had a better chance of getting into the tournament than UVA, despite having lost every single ACC game they had played. Now, Virginia Tech was very good in the preseason predictions. They have a great team in front of them. They just had some bad luck. But I feel like UVA is the bigger story of how they might be able to turn this thing around. Because that first half, I saw a lot of UVA fans starting to question, what is this team? Where are we going? Is the pack line defense dead? Yeah, I think people were burying this team after the Clemson loss. Right, go back, go back a year. Not really, 2021 December. <laughs> it all feels relative at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When was that? But people were burying the team. I mean, they were they were embarrassed by Clemson at home, just buried. And you thought, okay, that that might be it, right? That might be the RIP. That might be what's engraved on the tombstone for this year's team. Then they come back and they win a couple games on the road at Syracuse, where I thought they played really well. Obviously, a funky de defense, a little different. And then at Clemson, kind of avenge it with a, a double-digit win of their own. And now you're like, okay, I see what this team can be when it's on. Then they go out in Carolina, and they're not on. And they couldn't turn themselves on. I mean, they were they were off and stayed off and get it handed to them. And you just – you don't know. So I, I think what we're looking at right now is a team that does know what it has to do. But maybe can't always do it. <laughs> um, you know, you, you talk about veterans, but Jaden Gardner, who is as veteran as they come, he's new to UVA. Played a ton of ball in East Carolina, is a very good player. They're working him in. Armand Franklin from Indiana, who was supposed to be this lights-out three-point shooter. Well, he can't 
throwing the ocean off a boat right now from beyond the arc, but he's finding other ways to score. He's playing better and better every game on the defensive end in that pack line. So I think this team is finding how it can win, like you said earlier, winning ugly, who we are. I think they're finding it. And now it's a question of can they dial it up every Tuesday and Saturday, Wednesday, whenever they're playing. But can, can they do that every game night? Because if they don't, they're not good enough to win. Last question on UVA before we flip to the other side of the court. Is Kihei Clark a more impressive old man point guard under Tony Bennett than London Perantes? <laughs> so that's a great question because London, I think, was a little more talented, um, you know, had a better. You know, but what Kihei Clark's been able to do, I, I think, is remarkable. And in, in that, every year he's got a different role. Okay, he's the point guard every year. I get that. But when he was the point guard on a national championship team, and this isn't to take anything away from him, you or I would have found some success there. Ty Jerome handled the ball a lot. Hunter Jerome guy. I mean, that was a, a very stacked basketball. A lot of ball handlers on that team. Exactly. And, and Kia Clark was excellent, but he had a role and, and he filled it. And, and then the next year, it was like so much was dumped on him and he had to be a scorer. And I thought he did that. He, and then, then every year it's been tweaked a little. And I think that's been part of the challenge. And, and you know, Isaiah Wilkins, who, who was formerly a player, is now a GA. He made a great point when I talked to him about Kihei. And he said, you know, Wilkins was a team leader, but he had Devin Hall and Jack Salt. So they had this group that was leading. And Isaiah Wilkins was very much like, get in your face, kick your butt, um, chew you out. And then the other guys would kind of come over and build the guy. And he had that balance. And Kihei Clark doesn't have that. Like, yeah, Jaden Gardner's older, but but he hasn't been around. Kia Clark is the leader of this team, and he has to kick your butt, and then he has to pat your back, and he's got to do it all himself. And, and I don't think people appreciate just how hard that part of it is when you're the only guy. And um, he's still been great as the spearhead of that defense. He does the right things offensively. He's taking big shots, but he's not taking too many. Um, I really like what Kihei Clark has done with his admitted, I think, limitations. Yeah, those free throws there at the end, that is the biggest asset he is late in games. He hit those two huge free throws, 85% shooting for the free throw line at last check. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And that's exactly what they need to draw up. So now you look at Virginia Tech on the other side of things. They're 0-4, and the last time that happened was Buzz Williams' first year. I believe that was 2016? Was, was 2014, 2014-15. 2014-15, thank you. That was yeah. the last time that happened, and those teams ended up being pretty good under Buzz Williams. So is it time for Hokie fans to hit the panic button on this season alone, not looking forward? Yeah, on this season, yes. Um, and I say it that way, and I think you asked it that way, because I love Mike Young. I think he's a great coach. I think they're in great hands with him. I, I really like what they have there. This season, yeah, teetering on, on the brink of dumpster fire. Um, you know, going into the year, and this is an example of a place where, you know, what is it, cold takes exposed? I was completely wrong. I thought Virginia Tech would come out and be one of the three or four best teams in the ACC in the first month or so. Yeah. Because they had everybody back and they had veterans. And, and I said, look, they're not very deep. And if they have an injury or somebody goes sideways, maybe come February, we'll be less impressed. But I thought they were going to be gangbusters in November, December, and early January. And that has not been the case. Um, and it's been disappointing and it's alarming because not just, okay, 0 and 4, you're in a huge hole. I mean, Jimmy Beheim's 2016 team opened up 0 and 4, ended up in the final four. And, and UVA fans, I know, avert your ears because obviously they had that game where UVA thought it was final four bound and, and Syracuse found a way past them in, in Chicago. 
Um, oh man, that, that game, Mike, we were there for that. I remember yep. that to this day in complete detail. I think you were in the writing room plugging away on your story. I'm sitting there looking at the tunnel, seeing this score. And I think I walked into the room. I said, guys, Syracuse is coming back. Should we be concerned? Well, and then everyone's just quickly frantically trying to turn around their stories in time for deadlines well, and live shots. And we're all just flabbergasted yeah. that this had happened. London Peralta was I in remember- the locker room after that game. I remember asking him, you were right next to me. I said, what does this do? He's like, shouldn't have ended like this. Like he was from the matrix, like not like this, not like this. Yeah. No, and it was, I remember being on the, on the text with my boss saying like, should I book the, the trip? It was Houston for the final four. So should I book yep. the trip to Houston? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And I found my flight. And then there was a deal where you could, you know, have speedy. It does. You can link your flight to your car. And then it got a little complicated. And I was like, I paused for just a second and I look up and they can't break the press. And remember the first two possessions, they had a bucket that they just couldn't hit the layup. And I yeah. thought, okay, let me pause for a minute. And, you know, thank goodness I never hit send on that. <laughs> a, a good chunk of money. But the point is you can survive. You can come back. It's a down year in the ACC. But yeah, I think it's time to panic because Naheem Aleem is not shooting the ball well. And, and, you know, the last time I had seen him really in person was in Indianapolis at the NCAA tournament where he was, I mean, Jordan-esque in that first round loss. He not just great. Yeah, not just the buzzer beater that, that sent it over to him, but I'm talking about, I mean, he could get his own shot. He could elevate. He could fade away. He's not doing anything right now. Justin Mutz took two shots last night. That's ridiculous. That can't happen. Kevin Aluma has been great, but I, I, my eyes bugged out when Francisco Cafaro said he's a volume shooter. Like, that can't be what Virginia Tech is. Now, they are great defensively. Aluma is a great inside scorer, and the ACC is kind of crap. So you add all that and you say, okay, they're not done. They're not finished. But yeah, the panic button, I'm, I'm hitting it right now. Yeah, the only way they could get in is that they make an ACC tournament run, much like Syracuse had to do to get into that tournament in 2016. And that's where my mind goes for this, for this ball club because I thought they were going to be this team that could work inside out, hit the three-pointers when they had to, with Aluma being that interior scorer. Uh, that Mike Young really wanted to build the foundation on with this team. And yet you look at the rest of their ACC schedule and I don't see a game that's locked check Mark guarantee. I, I, especially in a down year for the ACC, you could say the same for for Virginia, but I feel even more so for the Hokies. Yeah. Although like we said with Virginia, like at their best, which we haven't seen from Virginia tech. Well, St. Bonaventure, we've seen it in the non-conference dialed in defensively, effective inside out Elaine hit start starts hitting shots all of a sudden that's the team that I thought was going to be great November and December are we going to see it the biggest problem right now for Mike Young's team and I laugh and not in a bad way but on Twitter everybody oh he's got a bench Naheem Ali and start somebody else okay who you start <laughs> on the bench it's not like Mike Young the wheel there's nobody to plug in he's got his five he needs David Gasson to come on, Darius Maddox to come on. I thought John Ojiako played some good minutes last night. Um, again, he's more of a four or five type player, but he needs these guys to be able to contribute. They got two points from their bench. And, and, and David Teal told me that he tallied it up 18 points from their bench in the last four ACC games. You're not going to win that way. 18 points from your bench in four games, you just, you're not going to win. That's four points a game from your bench. That does two things. One, it stinks because you're not getting any production. Um, you're not changing games. Two, you can't play matchups, right? Something's not going your way. Who do you go to on the bench to change the matchup? Well, there's nobody you can go to because they're not producing squat. So Mike Young is kind of 
handcuffed to the point of he's got to bring along Maddox and Gasson and Ojiako. Uh, Sean Padula has had some moments he's got to come on, um, and he's got to find a way to get Naheem Aline hitting shots. Well, how do you do that? And, and any coach will tell you you can't just get him to hit shots. It'll happen or it won't. Um, and then I think he needs Justin Mutz. The one coaching thing, he needs to get Justin Mutz to be a little more aggressive and play a little bit more, not that it's the same player, but like Boots, Tyrese Radford, who you can get the ball in different spots and he could drive and, and just be aggressive. I think they need that for Mutz. So um, there just aren't a lot of options right now for Mike Young. You mentioned the ACC being down, and we'll wrap this conversation up there. The Big Ten, the Big 12, the SEC all look like the gargantuan conferences that they should be. ACC, how many teams do you anticipate right now? We've only played a couple of games actually get into the NCAA tournament because I can count on all of those other conferences at least four or five get in from those conferences. Yeah, it's interesting because the ACC, you know, that's a league that likes to think eight or nine teams are going right every, every single year, year in, year out. They think they can get nine in every time. Yeah. And let's be honest, they have had nine or 10 teams that are NCAA caliber. The question is, did they earn it, right? Did they get the wins? Where are the quad ones, the quad twos? But just looking at the ACCs, okay, well, there's 10 teams in that league that can compete in the NCAA tournament. That's not the case this year. I think Duke can be a one seed. I think Carolina could be a two or a three seed. And then I'm stumped. Like, I think yeah. Miami's going to be there, right? I think Miami's going to be there. I think Virginia's going to be there because, again, you just Tony Bennett will win how he has to win. Mm-hmm. After that, I mean, Florida State is good enough, but they haven't earned it. They haven't played up to Notre Dame. The win over Clemson I thought was really impressive because I like Clemson. I like Clemson defensively. So if you're looking at Louisville, Florida State, Notre Dame, Clemson, and the two Virginia schools, yeah. Could they get there? Sure. Are they all going to get there? There's no way in hell. It's just not going to happen. I mean, they're going to play each other. It used to be that if you went 500 in the ACC where you got 20 or 21 wins, you were in because, oh, wow, it's a big, bad ACC. They don't look at it that way in a year. And they probably shouldn't have looked at it that way last year. But everybody, it's kind of like Vegas. They were a little slow to accept, hey, the ACC is not where it used to be. So I think this year you're looking at five, maybe six teams having a realistic shot. But I say it this way, it's a lot like ACC football. You know, yeah, you had a couple of good teams at the top of ACC football, but when it came bowl time and, and you or I are trying to guess who's going to go where, everybody was six and six. One was mm-hmm. seven, but it was a bunch of mediocre teams that did enough to get to the postseason. You didn't have high hopes for them, and then you weren't sure where they were going to go. That's ACC basketball, man. There's a bunch of teams that you're like, eh, yeah, they did enough to be a 12 seed or something. And yeah, be on the last four in on the bubble, you know. Exactly. There's going to be – Joe Lenardi is going to spend a lot of time watching ACC basketball for better or worse. Now, the good news for Joe is – because everybody's kind of mediocre to average, the games are going to be close, man. He's going to be watching a lot of ones like last night that come down to last possession. But um, it's going to be a rough march, I think, for the ACC. And, and in the end, I think it's, it's five teams probably th- that make it there. It's also telling when Coach K has to step out for non-related COVID is- or non-COVID-related issues that John Shire could step right in go into the post-game press conference after a convincing win and act like he's already the head coach of Duke. Like he walked Absolutely. in there and he's, they know they're going to get the one seed. There's no Paulo Bancaro, Trevor Keels. Eh, they're fine. They'll get there. Number one seed. And, no and, problem. And how about AJ Griffin come out? Like that team already without getting much from Griffin, you were like, that's the best team in the ACC. 
could be one of the best teams in the country. And then here comes Griffin now doing what we kind of thought. He, I mean, I, I really like Duke. I, I think Duke can be a one seed. I think Duke can be a Nashville champion. Um, again, I think Carolina's rounding in a form. And then I, I think it's just a bunch of guys who, if they have a good night, they win. If they have a bad night, they lose. For whoever is actually watching or listening to this episode of Chip and Friends, first of all, thank you. Second of all, where can they find you if they like what they've been hearing? Or if you didn't like it and you just want to complain, <laughs> I, I get plenty of that. I'm on Twitter at RTD underscore Mike Barber. And obviously you can read me at richmond.com. Awesome. Mike Barber. Thank you so much for your time, man. And uh, we're going to have to compare some cooking notes here. Cause I, I want to know what's in your arsenal when your rotation of 15 minute meals for the kids. Absolutely. Maybe we'll do a separate podcast, an extra episode where we go over some of the, the food choices. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's what we call a tease in the biz. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Again, big thank you to Mike Barber of the Richmond Times-Dispatch covering ACC action, Virginia and Virginia Tech. Whenever I get a chance to talk to him, I feel like I learn a little bit more about the Hokies and the Who's. And it's always a fun conversation, as you heard at the start there. So thank you again to him. And we'll have this interview on our YouTube page. Well, my YouTube page, Chip Briere, B-R-I-E-R-R-E. If you want to see us, actually, the faces, the reactions, the laughs, and the stories, you can find it there as we continue to evolve our platform on Chip and Friends. Of course, you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. You're probably on one of them right now, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And we continue to appreciate your listenership. So, listener, whoever you are, thank you for being with us on Chip and Friends as we go into the new year of 2022 with a lot of momentum, which is very, very real. If you made it this far, cheers to you. Next round's on me. Oh, 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 oh